0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Boilers. As always, Connor, Chris, bringing you all of the analysis that you could ever want and need about Purdue football and basketball. And, uh, you know, Chris, I don't, I don't know if you noticed this, but it was a little bit of a stressful week for um, Purdue football, particularly. It was a great week, though, it turns out, right? Yes. Yeah, yes, it was. And so, you know, of course, Jeff Broms back. He's going to, you know, he he turned down the uh, pursuit from Louisville. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially in the uh, in the national landscape thought that was a done deal. And you know, give credit to Purdue's athletic department, to the board of trustees, to President Mitch Daniels. They were able to keep Jeff Brom, and and now it really does feel like we're on the edge of Purdue taking off like a rocket ship as a program.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I tell you, I, I learned myself, I learned a couple of things through watching and, and listening to this entire thing play out. I, I always knew that we had a football coach, right, a, a great football coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after seeing all this play out, and specifically listening to an interview that coach Brom gave um, on ESPN Louisville. I think it's something called the Deener show. You can find it online. It's fast. It's a fascinating interview. He talks about his thought process. Um, what I now know is not only do we have a great coach, but we've got an even better man. Yeah. Um, he's a guy of high character and high integrity. He made, Um, A really tough decision, a gut-wrenching decision that affects a lot of people besides himself, Mm -hmm. except his family. Um, And he committed 100% to Purdue University in a way that I would tell you I'm not sure any coach prior ever has. Um, And I just have a lot of respect for him as a person after listening to him talk about their family and the deliberations they went through because this was not – an easy decision, but at the end of the day, he did what he thought was the high character, um, right thing to do. And I have a lot of respect for him for that. It's not easy.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I thought it was interesting because you and I have talked about it on this show and, and off air as well. This was never about money. It was never about the football situation. It was a purely emotional one. And for, Purdue to have so quickly embraced not only Jeff Brom, not only his success on the field, but also his family, his coaching staff, and his coaching staff's families within the community. You know, like, you know, I've been, you know, I was, you know, fortunate the last couple years to be able to do some stuff within the athletic department and, you know, like be around some of the non-revenue sporting events, right? So like soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, you know, not not just the stuff that's going to be on national television. And let me tell you, you know, the, the, from the moment Jeff Brom took the job, the coaching staff, Brom, his family, those guys were always around and always at these other events. And that was something that you did not see from the previous staff. But I also think that it, it showed kind of what he talked about, his commitment to the community, into the program and building something that he can be proud of.
1: Just, just go listen to the interview. He, he explains it all. He explains all of his thought process. He does not understandably um, go into detail about the conversations that took place amongst their family members. Yeah. And again, bear in mind, this is a decision that affected a bunch of people um, besides him, you know, Mm -hmm. two brothers on the staff, He goes into some detail about the conversation with his father, and it's clearly was an emotional, tough um, conversation with his dad, who wants his grandchildren back home so he can watch them grow up and play. And, you know, what it came down to, in Coach's own words, was that he's made a commitment not only to the place, but to the people. And he's given his word to kids that are in this program now and that are being recruited that he's going to be there for them. And if he goes mm-hmm. back on that, then his word means nothing, and it really just shows a lot about his character. So I, like I said, we learned that not only do we have a coach, but we got an even better person in that coach. Um, it's easy to understand why people want to be a part of what he's doing and play for him or coach with him or work around him. I mean, that's clear as a bell to me today. Tell you the other thing, man, that is clear is that we've got an unbelievable AD. We've got an unbelievable university president and we've Mm -hmm. got an unbelievable board of trustees, particularly Mr. Berghoff, who's the president of the trustees because they went about this thing in a way that was professional and classy and top rate, they handled themselves impeccably. They handled the situation with the Brahms exactly the right way. And they really showed a ton of character and professionalism in how they did this. You know, and regardless of the outcome, just the way that they went about doing it as a a department and as a university, it's pretty impressive as well. So um, Purdue and the Purdue legacy is in awfully good hands. And that becomes abundantly clear Um, Now that this thing is done. And like you said, it also sets the stage for unimaginable heights that can be reached now because you can't negative recruit Purdue by saying, well, you know, he's not going to be there in a year, which has been happening. Right. I mean, people have been doing that to recruits can't do that anymore.
0: And, and, I I would recommend that all of our listeners, after they have finished up listening to our episode, go find the Notorious B One G podcast, which is um it's from twenty four seven Sports, which is a big recruiting um, website and company in college sports. Uh, Steve yeah. Wiltfong, who is kind of responsible for a lot of the analysis within the Big Ten and, and particularly Purdue, really had some excellent insight into kind of the the process for the the current commits and he he was talking about that that there were a lot of programs that were circling waiting to see what Jeff Brom was going to say and and Purdue's commitment class was going to dry up quickly if he had left and he said as soon as Brom committed to coming back all of those schools just abandoned you know, that class is locked in. Uh, he had a lot of really good things to say about a lot of the guys coming in that class. Uh, you and I were, were talking about this earlier today. He, he said Milton Wright is a kid who runs a sub-11 in the 100 meters, yeah, that's which is blazing. like Olympic class at 6'3". Um, he specifically mentioned the two tight end commits – we were both like six five. He said they're both, you know, five, you know, four six, four seven, forty guys at their size. Uh, you know, Marvin Grant was somebody else he was really high on. You know, I think that there are a lot of people, you know, the quote unquote experts, and you and I won't claim to be recruiting experts. They, but the ones who do it for a living feel really, really good about the class <laughs> that's coming, uh, which all signs point towards adding David Bell here in in January. He's canceled almost all of his official visits. You know, that this could be the class that is the meteoric rise for Purdue and, and going back to the athletic department and their support, I I can't remember who it was. It was one of the local news outlets, whether it was uh, Mike Carmen or or DeFabo or, or one of the guys at Golden Black that was talking to, Uh, Mike Babinski, about the whole situation. And they asked a question along the lines of, so now where do the expectations go with Jeff Brom? And and Babinski, I thought, had a really good comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically, well, we've we've never operated this way at Purdue before, and so we're going to create our own ceiling. It's true. Which... I mean, yeah, they're, they're absolutely right. They just spent $65 million on a brand new football facility. Uh, they're, they're going to, what they're renovating the scoreboards this summer. I believe that's in the works, right. right. And then they're in the process of, I think, putting together the blueprints for closing up the South end zone and, and really bringing Ross aid into the 21st century and, and, I mean, you can see there's an investment in the program that I think is not being noticed on a national level because I know that there were a lot of um, talking heads who kind of said, well, you know, you can understand why Braum would stay at Purdue over Louisville because it's not as good of a football city." But just wait till like an Auburn opens up, then he's gone. And, And I don't think that's the case. I think that he turned down the one option that he would seriously be interested in and looking at to leave that's not the I, I agree I, I think
1: that the the only hurdle to um, building something that's unprecedented quite frankly at Purdue has been cleared and that would have been the pull emotionally the drawback to Louisville that's gone that's no longer a part of this and so now it's sky's the limit and um, you know if you're a fan of of the football program there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't buy tickets give money and support this because this this guy and his family made a commitment to a university at great cost um, emotionally right and relationally within their family Mm -hmm. and he deserves that kind of support from anyone who's even remotely vaguely um, interested in what's going on football wise at Purdue Uh, so buy your tickets join the John Purdue club Donate money and support the program because that guy that guy's all in and he's all in for the for the long haul. Clearly, it's kind of cool. I don't, you don't see that very often. More often than not, you see the Nick Sabans of the world, you know, who say one thing on one day and then the next day go somewhere else. Um, who leave kids behind, high and dry, et cetera, right? And their words are, um, you know, conditional, right? that's not who this right. guy is he's a high character guy
0: he's the real deal well and, and i know that it's been talked about that when he left um from uh, uh western, Michigan, western kentucky or yeah excuse me western kentucky they talked about that his his um Almost the entire recruiting class that was coming wanted to come to Purdue. They had to turn away people. Yeah,
1: so it's really interesting because he talked about that on this Louisville radio um, interview uh, because the the guy, I think his name's maybe Rob Diener. I can't remember if it's Rob Diener is his name. Um, point blank asking him, like, why is this different than when you left Western Kentucky, right? Because Jeff Brom was talking yeah. about how basically if I'm going to be a man of my word and a person of integrity, I have to follow through on my commitments you know, and what's maybe right for me personally isn't what's right for the situation. And and he alluded to you know leaving a place, and he and he said without naming names that there was a lot of people who were going to go with him if he went to Louisville, and there was some high profile guys on the roster, yeah, in recruits. And he and he, what he realized was it would not it, it would decimate Purdue's program, a a, a, prog- yes, a program yeah. that he spent two years building back up and rebuilding has had unconditional support from the fan base and the administration who have done absolutely nothing wrong, right? In his own words, that's what he said. And he's like, how can I do this to them? Because he knew if he left, he wasn't just taking his staff. He was taking recruits, and he was taking a huge part of the roster because apparently he had guys come up and say, if you go, I'm going with you. And in his words, they were high-profile guys. So, you know, speculate to your heart's content on who that might have been. It's all for naught at this point. But he realized that this was a decision that would – um potentially decimate the Purdue program. And he he didn't feel like mm-hmm. that's what someone of integrity and character would do. And he's right, they wouldn't. And he said the difference between this yeah. and Western Kentucky was at Western Kentucky they, they had won two championships, right? And they had basically accomplished what you can get done at Western Kentucky and they'd hit the ceiling there. Um right. They haven't done that at Purdue and that was the difference in his
0: mind. Yeah, and, and I think that with the financial commitment that's clearly there, why would you leave? It's home. Like let's let's take.
1: It's emotion, you know yeah, that we've been exactly. on this a million times, man. It's home. It's emotion. Right, it's his right. dad saying, "I I want to watch my grandkids no, no, play no, no, key no. ball.
0: No, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the Louisville job. I'm talking about now we're past. The yeah, Louisville. why would you go I'm somewhere else? Move them forward. Right. I'm talking about bigger uh, picture now. Like I Louisville. can
1: give you a scenario. You want one? You're yeah. you're five six in. Um, you just won the Big Ten championship and the NFL is knocking on your door and they're going to take you and your whole staff and you guys are all going to make so much money that if you have a halfway decent financial advisor, no one in your family will ever really have to work again for money. They can work what they're passionate about, you know, because NFL money is crazy, right?
0: Yeah. And if so that's, that's case, like five years, then...
1: six years down the road. I could see him leaving for right.
0: that. 5 6 years from now if the the Cleveland Browns come calling Jeff thank you for everything best of luck in the NFL. All right. Well,
1: I can see that being a possibility. Thank, thank,
0: thank, thank you for being the being one of the key pieces that pulled Purdue football from the gutter. Which is where exactly was where it was at when he he came in. Well, and it was pretty It's it was been pretty amazing low. Right, it's been amazing to see what he's been able to do in two years, and and to think what he could have this program at in in five years, especially if they're able to retain the staff. Because I think that's this that's a piece that goes often unnoticed by the general fan. It's not just Jeff Brom, who's a tremendous coach and and a is and a, and a strong recruiter. It's it's all the other guys on the coaching staff as well that have been so valuable. to. Well, you
1: try to keep the band together and you go to the next big venue, which is the NFL. So you take, you take your two brothers with you, right? You take Jamarcus Mm -hmm. Shepard with you, right? You take all those guys with you and they make big bank and, um, and everybody's happy, you know, that's how you do it. In the meantime, Purdue has to pay them appropriately. And every indication is that's exactly what, um, Mr. Daniel Bobinski and Berghoff fully intend to do and it's witnessed by their actions and not just their words I mean they stepped up and and the fan base stepped up because that money doesn't just materialize from nowhere right that's not pennies from heaven that's right. that's donor dollars that are pledged by some big whale donors who who are saying "We'll we'll help and you can be sure that those conversations yeah. took place.
0: Oh, I have, I have, I have no doubt, and you know, like you said, it's really it's a credit to everybody with at the university for for being willing to do the things necessary to keep such a tremendous coach at the school. But you know, moving away, there'll be plenty of time to talk about the future. You can be
1: proud of the you can be forward. proud of the coach that he is, no doubt. You'd be even more yeah. proud of the person that he is, and how he represents himself in the program in the university. It's pretty cool, we got – if you haven't listened to it, go listen to the interview. It's a, it's an it's yeah, a wonderful it's... insight into who he is as a person. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think you hit it. right. Yeah, I have a I have an now, uber now... respect for him coming out of that, and it has nothing to do with athletics and X's and O's and football. It has everything to do with who he is as a man. Uh, tons of respect for him. He's a he's a stand up guy. In in a in a world where there oftentimes aren't a lot of them especially in that profession. Well, I mean, there are good and bad in every profession, and there certainly are some sure. shady characters in
0: that one. He's not one of them. He's a guy that you can take pride in representing you. So now looking looking at the action on the field, we, we found out earlier today where the uh, Purdue Boilermakers will be finishing up the 2018 season. It's going to be in Nashville at the Music City Bowl, taking on Auburn. Uh, a couple notes from Coach Brom's uh, press conference today uh they they said Jacob Thinneman intends to play after his uh staff infection and they also felt optimistic that uh, left tackle Grant Hermans who's been out for about a third of the the year will have a chance to play as well and and Jeff Brom has been open about how he feels these bowl games are and, and you see you know coaches everybody kind of takes a different approach some Coaches like to use the practices to get young guys reps, and it's it's a reward for the hard work throughout the season and in the summer for the team. But you know, Braum is a team; they're serious about winning these games.
1: Yeah, it's quite the juxtaposition to the um, Joe Till or even Danny Hope type of approach, where it was seen as a reward. It was kind of a vacation. Um, Right. This staff sees it as competition and development. And so you get, what, three weeks about of extra practice time with some guys um, that probably need to be repped because they're going to be a part of the equation next year. And you had an mm-hmm. interesting insight on an interview from Carl Loftus where he was saying there might be opportunity for him to even come in early
0: and be a part of that
1: preparation, right?
0: Yeah, he wouldn't be – from what I understand, there's – I don't know the, the full details. Uh, he talked about uh, – I think it was on Golden Black Live, which – um, if you're a Purdue fan, you should, you yeah, should go listen good to that. Stuff. But they, they had an interview with Carl Oftus, and they are talking about their paperwork that he can get filled out, that he can actually get involved in the practices because he's going to enroll for spring ball on the, the start of the second semester. And that would be huge for his development and just being able to, to get some, some reps and, and get in and start working with the strength and conditioning staff. But this is a huge opportunity for Purdue to make a statement, kind of like last year, right? You know, last year's game was a great way to cap off the season and it allowed them to take a lot of momentum into the offseason. But you're going to get a chance to go up against Auburn, who's a household name in college football, you know, an SEC West staple. Uh, they were in the SEC championship last year. They played in the New Year's Six Bowl. They're a little bit down this year, but this is a great test for <clears throat> Purdue. and. Certainly, an opportunity. Yeah, well, it's an SEC school, right? It's
1: a high, high, uh, high value opponent. The biggest thing in my mind is the ability to rep, get reps for guys that are going to have to be a part of the answer next year. And, and then they get to maybe play in competition a little bit because of that four game, and you can still redshirt deal. So, guys like Ahmad Anderson, Elijah Ball, um, <clears throat> you know, Corey Trice, right? Those guys can all play in this bowl game and still redshirt, as I understand it. Is that correct? I yeah, so. and so then even throwing a guy like Dedrick Mackey, who's going to have to be a primetime player next year, it's just more practice and more game competition reps for them, and you can kind of start to see what you got, you know, on the drawing board for next year. To me, that's, that's a big part of it. It's a
0: huge part of it. Yeah, well, and you're not going to have – Lorenzo Neal he's yeah, done he's, the yeah, he's AC. Out. so maybe even a guy like Lawrence Johnson who's a is a red is a freshman who's red shirting but is a big talented tackle yep. that I know they're real high on maybe he's able to be up to speed physically and and mentally that he can give you some quality reps inside you never well know. hey here
1: here, go uh, back to your Carl Optus interview thing because I know that this was a a piece of that with with the guys from Golden Black is it, it gives you a chance even in, in game conditions to experiment with mm-hmm. some different lineup things like take Giovanni, right, and put yeah. him inside, right, at the, at the tackle and then right. stand a different guy up at D end because that's what they're talking about doing when Karloftis gets there next year, right? So now you get to yeah. test drive Giovanni a little bit at a different position. You know, you could do you could do that in this bowl game just to see like, okay, conceptually, that sounds like it makes sense. But how's that going to play out? Well, I don't know. Let's try it. You know, a couple series and see, man. We got three weeks to play with it and practice just to see what it looks like. Right. And you've got a shortage there anyways, because, you know, Neil's out with it with the knee thing. So it it just there's a lot
0: of benefits to playing in a postseason thing. Yeah, yeah. And and you look at in the secondary, especially, where you're gonna have, you know, Kenny Majors gonna be back and yeah. you know, obviously there's a need to address the ability to defend the pass yeah. coming into the future. Yeah, better. Guys like Bryce, Elijah Ball, Jordan Rucker. I forgot uh, about know, Jordan Rucker. The, yeah. Who's yeah, he's yeah. red shirting, you know, he hasn't played at all, I don't think. These guys it's all time for them to be able to get some reps and and I do know that that Brahms said that they're not going to use all fifteen practices that they're allotted because he does want guys to be able to go home and spend some time with their families. Right. Uh, but even still, even if they only were to use one practice of the fifteen, that's still it's it's an added bonus to keep the team together, keep guys focused, and, and allow, especially for Purdue, who's at such a pivotal point in its development now as a program where you've got so many young guys on the roster for for all of these guys to continue to get reps and, and physically and mentally get prepared to contribute next year
1: there's a lot of positives and upside there aren't many negatives to it so it's a good
0: thing we'll talk a, a little bit more in depth in the coming weeks about the bowl game um you know really there's not much to talk about right now you and i have We've only even known about the, the Auburn matchup for about four or five hours so that we don't really have much on the Tigers one way or another. But as we get closer and closer to the matchup, we can go a little bit more in-depth in that. But let's let's look at the hardwood. Let's go to Purdue basketball. As great of a week as it has been for Purdue football, it has been equally as frustrating of a week for the uh, the Boilers, who had uh, two pretty disappointing outings. Um this week. Um, Maybe not disappointing. Two, two, two learning experiences. They, they, I That's mean, probably, they,
1: lost. they lost two games. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Florida State game, they were down big. They came back uh, because they shot their way back into it and, and actually defended mm-hmm. their way back into it a little bit and then didn't execute at the end. They didn't hit free throws, and they didn't take care of the ball. Right. They turned the yep. ball over and they didn't hit free throws. And and frankly, it was Evan Bordeaux and Carson Edwards that didn't hit free throws. Um, <clears throat> but in the Florida State's, or not Florida State. Yeah, Florida State. Florida State's a good opponent. They're a good team. They're a legit team. Yes. Uh, and then Michigan, mm-hmm. um, we didn't play well. We didn't do some things very well. We made a lot of mistakes. Michigan is unbelievable. I think they're a potential Final Four team. I'm, they're really impressive. They shot the ball so unbelievably well.
0: I mean, just unbelievably well. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that Purdue is still trying to find itself right now, not only rotationally, but within within the roles on the team. I think that uh, Carson is is trying to get something to go off, offensively. I think at times he's taken some ill-advised shots. But I also understand what he's trying to do, and, and I think that he's trying to adjust to his role as much as anybody else on the team, and he's also not getting a ton of help offensively. You know, you look at that Michigan game. You know, he scores 19 points on 7 to 21 shots. Klein has 15 on uh, on 8 shots, and, and then the next highest scorer is Aaron Wheeler, who had 8. Who And, and most of those came after the game was – was well decided in the second half
1: Aaron Wheeler played really well Aaron Wheeler needs to play more Grady needs to play less and we can get into that in depth here in just a little bit if you'd like I have my thoughts on that rotation and how those 80 minutes of playing time between the four and five position need to be carved up I don't know that Carson um, shooting 21 shots is necessarily all bad I think it's what kind of shots are those 21 shots that's the real concern um, he has to shoot in volume for this team to be any good because there aren't a lot of other options. Ryan Klein is obviously a very good shooter, um, but he's a secondary guy, right? And then Evan, frankly, has been the number three guy to ride with him. Um, right. Carson has to score and it a bunch, but it has to be within the flow of the offense and within the context of the offense. And I think when things bog down and guys aren't doing – what they need to do, he tries to take it on his shoulders and he tries to force the issue. And so a lot of those 21 ap- attempts weren't quality shots. Now, I'm totally fine with him shooting the ball 21 times, 21 quality shots yeah. within the flow of the offense. Yeah, He shot the low percentage because they weren't great
0: shot choices. Right. And I think the other thing, and this honestly might even be more frustrating than, than some of the low low percentage shots it's the five turnovers yeah. well again that's yeah. trying to force the issue yeah he's trying to he's trying to do so much you're trying to and and so those turnovers are just gonna we all had nine as
1: a team he had five right <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah i mean they, they took care of the ball um the other thing that that stands out is they only took six free throws it's because of shooting jump shots and and they have to try to find a way to score inside. Now, whether th- it doesn't appear at least early that it's going to be Matt Harms posting up or, or scoring inside, but they have to find some way to generate offense at the rim.
1: All right, so we're gonna we're gonna get right we'll get right to what I'm talking about here. So there's you know between what people would traditionally call the four and the five, right? There's yeah. 80 minutes of playing time there. Okay, mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's it, there's it's a zero sum game, and there's only so much playing time, right? There's 200 minutes in a game. Um, I really think, and I think I understand what coach's thoughts and process is, and you know, I mean I'm respecting for it and all that. But the fact of the matter is, is Evan Bordeaux needs to start at the four, with Matt Harms at yeah. the five, and that first substitution probably needs to be Aaron Wheeler for Matt Harms and slide Evan to the five. And Wheeler plays yeah. the four. And then you gotta rotate um Trevion Williams through there as a five. And I don't know that you can ever play Matt and Trevion together. You can play right. Aaron and Trevion together. You can play Evan and Trevion together. And the guy that needs to play considerably less minutes is Grady Eifert, who's a great team guy and plays hard and is completely out of his element at that level of play and that athleticism. And that was clear, and it's been obvious for a couple games. He's not the future. Wheeler is. Wheeler needs to play. Williams needs to play. Williams is nowhere near game shape. He can only play a couple right. minutes at a time. He's, just, he's still too heavy, and he's just not in shape. Yeah. But he's not getting any better watching from the bench, and he is a legit five. Evan was overmatched physically because he's not big enough. He's right. not. I mean, Teskey just abused him because he's huge. Yeah. And Evan can't guard him at six eight. Trivion's got enough girth to him. He can lean on him and shove him.
0: Yeah, and here's here's the important thing too for Purdue fans to take a step back because there's a lot there's a lot of of um unhappy campers out there. Purdue lost on a neutral site game to a very good Virginia Tech team. They lost by six. They lost on the road, first true road game for almost half of the roster. They lost by one to a very athletic and a very good Florida State game or team. Now, should they have won the game? Yeah, absolutely. They should have hit free throw, shouldn't have turned the ball over, should have won that one, but they didn't. And then they went on the road, and they became the third-ranked team that Michigan has bludgeoned This season, I mean, they blew out Villanova and they blew out UNC. So you know, it's not like they they have been getting beaten by teams that, on a talent wise, are inferior to them. Michigan's not Michigan's not a bad loss. Michigan Michigan beat North Carolina by eighteen. None of them are. Let's all right. So the. The bigger term for this season, right, is being able to – success is making the tournament, right? I think we all – I think everybody's in agreement on that. You and I are in agreement on that. Right. Like, if they make the tournament, even if they get bounced in the first round, it's a successful year. Let's look at the three losses, right? You look at a close loss to Virginia on a neutral site, true road game at Florida State, and on the road against Michigan. Which one of those three losses are you going to look at come March – as things stand right now, and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Purdue's not a tournament team. If they win twenty games, or if they even win nineteen games, they're gonna get in because it's not like they're they didn't lose to Dayton. No, they're not bad. They didn't lose They're not bad bosses at all. No, no, not in the least And I get, I get that people are upset. I understand that it's frustrating, and it's gonna be different because it's not a team that has has the experience that teams in the years Conna, past have. this is have. a two
1: year build project, dude." I well, know.
0: I understand. that. They, I understand
1: they lost that. A, a likely Final Four team. Yeah, on the road. Who shot fifty? I who shot fifty percent from three?
0: I think that the team is still trying to figure out their roles. I think that Coach Painter and the coaching staff are still trying to figure rotations out. We're only eight games into a season where they're going to play what thirty yeah, it'll games, be at least right? Thirty, like 30 yeah, regular at least 30, you're not even a third of the way through the season. So, yes. so look, you know. on the minutes, look, here's the <laughs> minutes from the Michigan game.
1: You ready? And I'll give you the minutes, and I'll give you just their their line a little bit. Okay, so Grady played 17 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. 1-3 of from the field, Oh, one one from the arc. He had five rebounds, two points. Okay? Wheeler, yep. Wheeler played 17 minutes. So, he played the same amount of time, right? Now, obviously, in a different part of the game, but the same amount of time. He was three of three from the field, two of two from the three-point line in doing that, right? Five boards, eight points. So, he had eight points, five boards. He's way more athletic, and he helps you defensively. Um, Matt played 19 minutes uh, and scored five points and and had two rebounds, which is super disappointing. Bordeaux um, played 18 minutes, right? He had three points. And three rebounds. That's really – that's low output for Evan. He he did not have a great game. And then Williams played four minutes. So, what I would tell you in my mind is this, is you need to take that 21 minutes that's in there between Grady and Travion and you need to split that. I think at this point in the season, 50-50, they need to play about ten minutes each, right? With the yeah. idea that by the time you get to January, which is only about four weeks away, Travion's playing about – um 12 to 13 minutes a game, and Gritty's playing about eight. And and so what yeah. that means, in order to get that done, it means Evan doesn't play as many minutes at the five. He plays more minutes at the four with Wheeler. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. And, and I think just for development of the individual players and development of the team, that's what has has to happen. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. you recruited those guys, okay? You brought Williams and Wheeler yeah. here to play, not to sit. Grady's a walk-on. He's a senior, and he, he can't help you next year. This, all you're doing now is about next year. Everything you do now is about next year. I saw some why yeah. Eric Hunter needs to play more.
0: Yeah, and, and it was good to see Eric took five shots. Yeah, he missed them all. They, <laughs> you know, he, that's that's okay though, because you need him to keep taking the shots. This is something that you and I have talked about since the season started. The ball, they have they have to have a second shot creator outside of Carson and it has it's going to be him because you know Klein Klein has been Klein's probably you could make an argument been the best player up to this point on the on the roster klein has been great dude from an offensive from an offensive standpoint yes he has been terrific offensively but Eric can bring another level of being able to score off the dribble that they need. I, see, and, I think his minutes at Michigan were about right. He played fourteen minutes. That's about right.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's splitting with Nojel. You know, right, and, and most for the most part, and and Nojel's got to be on the floor. I, I don't care yeah. what anybody says. Nojel Eastern's got to be on the floor because he can defend. He can rebound. His ball issue stuff that he's had, he'll take care of. That's I mean, not going to be a problem, man. You know, No gels, yeah, he's, dude. He's yep. fine. The shot thing is the shot thing. He's never going to be a guy that's going to shoot it in from distance real well. But he can score in transition. Right. He can post up. He can hit floaters in the lane. And he can defend. 6-7 yes, on another team's point guard. Now, look, he, he was playing against Xavier Simpson. Xavier Simpson is one of the best point guards in the country. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the minutes are good for every, in, at everywhere else that I saw there except for what we've talked about with the four and the five spot. And I just think it's it's time to declare an end to the Grady Eifert experiment. Yeah. There, there you go. And That's my I, feelings.
0: And I think also it's important to note that John Teske, who went two for two from three, had hit one three coming into the game.
1: Teskey's a good player. He, dude.
0: If you add the 100% that he was from the field, he's now shooting 25% from three.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about John Teskey's three point stuff. It's what he does around the bucket. Right. And, and Coach Beeline is a, I think he's the best coach in the league to, without yes. any doubt. I don't even think it's a close second, really. And guys develop under him and improve. And Teskey's a great example of that. Teskey's a guy on paper that shouldn't be able to play much at all. He's pretty good, he's right. very serviceable. They've done an awesome job with him. Jordan Poole's a dude I'd throw in there too. Jordan Poole was not highly recruited. By any stretch of the imagination, he has developed into no. a very effective player.
0: Yes, he has. Yeah, I mean, he has, he was, he killed Purdue. He was really good that day. Well, the good, and the good news is, is for Purdue fans is that uh, Purdue does not have to see Michigan until the Big Ten Thank tournament. Goodness. I'm telling you, man, they Michigan, keep on Michigan this year, man. They're going deep, assuming they stay healthy. Yeah.
1: You know, and that's true for everybody, right. right? But I'm telling you, the Wolverines stay healthy, yeah. man. They
0: could be playing way in deep into the tournament. They're good. Yeah. And, and we don't – you know, we're not going to – we don't want to get too <clears> much into Michigan, but they did primarily only play their their five starters. Yeah, they're not deep, so they can't handle foul trouble and they can't handle an injury. Yeah, but their their five starters were enough to, to get it done against – And Virginia. we're on that
1: day. Okay, let's talk about so the now, next couple.
0: Yeah, so now, you know, now we move forward. We've got Maryland coming to town for the Big Ten – Home opener on uh, Thursday. That's on uh, the Big Ten Network, and then we actually are going to have we're going to boots on the ground on Sunday down in Austin, yeah. Texas. You're going to be you're going to be over How about there. That? We're gonna we're gonna have a report live from a Marriott in Austin, Texas. More than likely,
1: very it, 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 it will, We will record the show from the JW Marriott in downtown
0: Austin on that night. So that's that's an exciting. An exciting occurrence early in our uh, podcast.
1: Yeah. So look, the story here. behind that I shared with you a little bit is I got some guys that I went to school with a long time ago. One of those guys lives in Austin, and so a bunch of yeah. us are hopping on planes and flying in for the weekend for the game, and we're going to go to the game together.
0: So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think that uh, you know, obviously, you'll you'll enjoy being able to reconnect with yeah. them, but looking at the, for Purdue basketball, you know they have struggled with um, their interior defense, keeping talented big guys from scoring. And uh, Bruno Fernando at Maryland is as talented as they come in this conference. And, and Texas has got quite a bit of length inside as well. So there's going to be two more tough tests. And I think all the more reason that your your point about playing Travion Williams more makes sense. And because you need the length. Bruno Fernando's
1: a specimen, man.
0: Yes, yes, I he mean, is.
1: Geez when well, Pete, he
0: does stuff. It's like, wow, is that even humanly possible? Yeah, I mean, that's Maryland is always one of the more talented teams in the conference. Uh, it doesn't always show up in the win loss column. No, they've not. They've not had the level of success they should for the amount of talent they've had. But Bruno Fernando is a stud. Really? Uh, I believe that. Yeah, they're ranked um, 24th in, in the poll. And so it's going to be another ranked opponent. And I believe Texas is ranked as well. Yes, they are. And so this is an incredibly tough stretch for for Purdue uh, and, and Penn State – or excuse me, Maryland was able to beat Penn State um, – which is, is a tough team. But, you know, Purdue being able to get back to the friendly confines, I think, is going to help them a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, with Maryland, the guards, I think we match up fairly well. Ayala, Wiggins, uh, Cowan's there. Um, right. You know, those matchups I feel pretty good about. It's the it's the interior matchups that I think um, we're at a bit of a disadvantage, and mm-hmm. uh, Bruno Fernando being the most, you know, evident one of the bunch. But um, it'll be interesting to see. We're going to need to shoot it well. And – we're going to need Evan to be good, and we're going to need one other guy. And I really think it, I really do believe in my heart that it could be Aaron. He's lost on defense probably 65% of the time. But, Trans, but true transparency guys has no clue what he's doing defensively about six out of every 10 times
0: down the floor. But the advantage that he has is that he's 6'10. <laughs> so his window, his window for error is. Much much larger than it is for most yeah, guys at that
1: level. He can make up for some stuff. Their help side defense was absolutely putrid against Michigan, yeah. and that was all of them. I mean, every single one of them, including Carson Edwards. You know, yeah, I thought Dockage was doing the game right. Yeah, and I mean, he pointed out there was a on one there was one series that I mean, I, Matthews took Charles Matthews had already cut and took like three strides going around a screen before. Carson Edwards even moved on the help side just because he was completely unaware. So there's there's a lot of ownership for those errors um, on that team. They'll get better. That's what practice is for. But you got to play your younger guys that that are going to be your future. They got to learn and they got to learn now.
0: Yeah, and and coach you know Coach Painter and his staff. You know defense is their calling card, but it's going to take time, right? You know you think about. You and we had this conversation, I believe, in last yeah last week's episode. There is a long proud history of really really bad defenders, their freshman or redshirt freshman year, who become pretty solid, even exceptional defensive players under yes. coach.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Rayfield so, Davis was terrible, right? Um, and Dakota Matthias was awful. Yeah. You know, even even a guy you know like Vince Edwards wasn't a terrific defender as as a freshman. Got much better. AJ Hammonds, hmm. you know, another guy who who went from being you know not good defensively to all of a sudden being one of the best shot blockers in the country. Yeah, you know, like the improvement can happen. It just it never happens as quickly as the fan base would like, or even as the coaching staff would like. You know, I guarantee you that. Coach Painter would love nothing more than for his team to wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden everybody's communicating effectively and efficiently and they all know where they're supposed to be on defense. It's just a teaching thing. You got to have time and any time takes- on the court. So
1: I like this. I like the matchup with Maryland, other and Bruno. What about Texas? What am I? Fly- uh,
0: what am I flying down there to see? Well, you know, Texas Chaka Smart is there. Uh, you know, he is slowly but surely trying to build that program up. Um, They, he, it, you know, it's kind of in a similar situation to what, what Painter has been in the last couple of years where they really have been able to recruit at a high level to get um offensive or uh, big guys. Uh, but I do know that I, I believe it's Kerwin Roach and, and I am pulling up the, uh, the stats right now as we speak, as I try to desperately stall one well, of my, iPad pulls it up. Yeah, Curran Roche the second is uh he's averaging 16 points a game right now. Uh you know, he's a he's a good scorer, but other than that, I mean, it's it's primarily a a pretty large team. They've got a lot of length, a lot of size. But this is a team that's currently through seven games shooting 29% from
1: 3. Yeah, they don't shoot it real well. They just lost to Radford, actually. Um yeah. A couple days ago, 62-59. So I mean, this is this is a
0: winnable game. Michigan State beat them by ten, right? Um, and but it's also they're you know, up and down, yeah. But it's a true it's a road game mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think I think that they are very similar to a Florida State, maybe not quite there yet, but but still a very long, a very athletic team that is going to try to. Kill Purdue in, in, inside on the block and you know on the glass and if Purdue doesn't show up to rebound they're gonna they're gonna have a tough time.
1: We got to make the lineup changes to have a, a puncher's chance in the next two games.
0: Yeah, and, and they're I mean they do get almost a, a week. You know, they, so they played Saturday and they don't play again till Thursday. So you've got a lot of time to to make some of those changes to go back and look at the film. Yeah. And make some 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 adjustments, and so don't discount the the ability of a, a teachable moment. And you know, I know a lot of people they'll roll their eyes at you know, well, you know, you learn a lot in a loss. But sometimes, as a team, you need to get humble, and and you need the ability for in the locker room. I thought that Matt Barnes was interesting in his post game remarks about it. he was pretty candid and that he felt they got out tough and well yeah i think he's right i mean sometimes
1: you get guys attention in a loss like that you get a captive audience and now you can teach
0: well and and, you know the one thing that you and i have talked about a number of times is the leadership you know who who steps up and leads in the locker room and sometimes i don't
1: think it's evident yet who that is do
0: you no i don't either but i think that in a uh in a a pretty decisive defeat on the road to start conference play, you may have some some guys in the locker room who are going to start to show whether or not they're ready to be leaders and start to, to ask for some accountability from everyone.
1: It's not Carson. I mean, we had that whole lead singer versus the glue guy in the band thing, you know. Right. He. It's not him, man. It's not him. I, I think it's Sasha.
0: We'll see. I, I don't know that Sasha plays enough for and- <clears throat> him. Leader, but I well, whoever, that
1: could be that could be a problem.
0: <laughs> that yes, but whoever it is, they, they got to figure that out quickly. Um, yeah they need they need to at least take a, a cup. They need to beat Maryland, and, and they they really it would be nice if they're able to beat both Texas and Notre Dame. But certainly need to at least split the pair. You can't come out of this five game stretch with with one or, or no victory. That's gonna put. Yeah. put a while on the rest of the Big Ten slate.
1: We're going to learn a lot, like we talked about, through this stretch. Hey, that leader very well could be Nogel Eastern, too. Yeah, Very sure. well could be. He's, high, he's a high IQ guy. He's got a great work he's ethic. Working. It could be Nogel. And we've seen a guy who's not a great scorer fill that role before in Ray Davis. Yeah. So it could be Nogel, too. Anyways, like you said, we're going to know a lot more at the end of the next uh, week and a half. We'll, yep. we'll see what happens here. Let's hope we see some some lineup tweaks and some minute tweaks.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, at the, at the very worst allow the uh the retention of Jeff Brom to continue to bo- booster your your spirits through the remainder of at least the year. Uh, a lot to feel good about there
1: and be very 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 optimistic. Well, that's going to do it for
0: another Wonderful episode of Monday Morning Boilers. Thank you for listening. We appreciate everybody that's out there listening. Continue to uh, to tell your fellow Boilermakers. You know, we're we're going to continue to solicit questions and, and try to get fan engagement. We'd love to hear from from all of you. We want we want it to be as much of you having input as well as uh, Chris and I. So once again, thank you so much. Boiler up and hammer down.